Which one are you? Eric. Eric? It's not for me, it's for Paul. I'm doing a show. Eric, here, here is uh, the American public. I'm John. You're John. It's only yes. a joke. Yes, well, John, here is the American public. 40 million American viewers. It only looks like staring, one man to me. Staring you right in the face. Oh, it's the cameraman. What is your impression of the American public? You've been here for a while now. They are the wildest. Why? Well, I don't know. Tonight was, you know, mild. It's ridiculous. I'd... Well, there was 8,000 people all shouting at once, and we were trying to shout louder than them with microphones, and we still couldn't beat them. Was America something like what you thought it would be like? No, nothing like it. We thought it'd be much quieter. We thought, it, you know, we'd have to grow on everybody, and everybody seems to sort of know us all, you know, as if we'd been here for years. It's great. Hello and welcome to a You're With The Beatles, a limited series of podcasts exploring virtually every studio album by The Beatles, month by month. My name is Graham Burke, and this time I'm joined by NPR books editor Petra Mayer. Hey, Petra. Hi, Graham. Now... Our stalwart partner, Rob Jones, isn't here because he hasn't seen what you and I are about to discuss, Petra, as a sub. What? I, I thought I know. he was curing cancer in Botswana. I know. Did he lie to us? He lied to us. He lied to us. I'm shocked. Yes, I'm, I'm shocked. I, yes. No, Rob Rob has not seen uh, what we're about to discuss as a supplement or ninth episode, uh, which is Ron Howard's recent documentary about the Beatles' early 1960s touring days. The Beatles, eight days a week, the touring years. So... Petra, it's just you and me. I'm, I'm, I'm shocked. I mean, I don't, I, I don't know possibly what I could possibly talk about on a podcast with you, but let's let's try. Uh, I, I, I know, um, especially if it doesn't involve Stephen Moffat. Uh, I know it's crazy. I'm sure. I'm sure we both have opinions about this film. I'm sure we do. So, how did you like it? I liked it. I liked it. I sort of. It, it's a film about my favorite era of the Beatles, so obviously I was going to like it. I sort of, as it went along, was like. I am starting to slightly hate this film in the way that you hate the New York Yankees, because clearly <laughs> this film has all the money and all the resources, and it was going to be amazing no matter what, but like, it definitely had a flavor of rich guy's passion project. It's like, I mean, with every person that he... And I did appreciate that, even though he was obviously just calling up famous friends of his, that they at least had personal connections to the material. You know, like Whoopi Goldberg talking about being at Shea Stadium with her mom was just trash. It really was. It's true, and it it does it does have that kind of oh my god, this is a vanity project that I'm kind of happy to be watching, but yeah, it it, it still is a vanity project. <laughs> yeah, and it's like if it wasn't stellar, I, that would have that then I would have really been mad because obviously they had all the money and all the resources and all the access and all the time. So like I expected perfection. Well, I mean, I liked it a lot. I, I knew, I mean, I knew a lot about the treadmill that they were on. Hell, we've even discussed it on this podcast, but to see it so vividly illustrated, you know, they, they really comb the archives for a lot of great material from that period. And I, and I, I really liked how they managed to sort of, put a lot of interesting facts about the Beatles in the context. The, 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 the we were bigger than Jesus statement. You know, suddenly it's it's put into a context and explained in a way that I don't think I've ever seen actually happen on film before. So yeah, that was that was kind of that was kind of my one of my takeaways. Were there any other other surprising facts for you that kind of came to light in the movie? The takeaway for me was I was pretty aware of the bigger than Jesus thing in the context of that, but what I knew intellectually but not emotionally was the impact of Beatlemania. I mean, you know, it's it's very cliched. You see the girls clutching their faces and screaming, ah! you know, that's the parody of the Beatle fan. But like the animal 
frenzy of it. It was Dionysian. You know, yeah, it was. Like it was. Dionysian. I said that wrong. But, like, there was something weird. There was something, something almost supernatural. There was some energy that they were channeling that, like, in, you know, these were, like, some goddamn maynads. <laughs> and I, and like I said, I had known that intellectually, but I had not really confronted it on an emotional level and to see that and to really be slightly scared by it and to understand that they had to face it night after night after night. And it also sort of made me wonder about whether that was a a cultural turning point in America in more ways than we just sort of think about the British invasion and Beatlemania and sort of the creation of the teenager as a cultural force. But like, I mean, unless it happened to Sinatra or Elvis, I don't know that that kind of frenzy had been unleashed in American society no. up until that point. And, and, and I, it kind of, it's a little scary. You see descendants of that today in places. I mean, to see the kind of footage of, of how insane it was just people lined up for a Beatles concert or just lined up just to go see them go to a hotel. Sure. It was... Or the people rushing the stage and the policemen carrying these fainted, demolished girls out, you know, the abandon of it. And for me, you go to the other side of the spectrum on an intellectual level, they had all these interesting little things that kind of made me realize that, like, they, had, they used this really effective graphic of a chart sort of showing how yeah. long the how long the album was on was on the charts for and you start with and you start with you know their first album released in the states and it's and it's on the chart for 68 weeks or something like that and and yeah just, <laughs> you know not even beyonce can match yeah. that to the head. <laughs> and you kind of and, I mean, and each album sort of gradually collapses that number to the point where you know you get you get sort of six weeks on the charts but it's it sort of and their treadmill just increases because their albums become gradually less effective because it, it's inevitable that they will and so they have to therefore tour all the more it's a fa- it was a fascinating mm-hmm. sort of dynamic for me just and just to see it was actually ultimately it was a very sad film because you saw the impact that it had on them and i've always preferred early beatles because i guess i just want to avoid death and pain and misery and, <laughs> and i don't want to admit what happened to them you know i like early bouncy cavern club insouciant you know, screwing around with the reporters, Beatles. It is a very sad movie. And I found that you can sort of hear how burned out they're getting. But then on the other hand, there's things that they did that I never knew, like like the, like the fact that they sort of, they demanded that their concerts be integrated in the South. About this uh, comment that I heard about uh, concerning uh, racial integration at the various performances. We don't like it if there's any segregation or anything because it just seems mad to me. And I could see Brian in the corner of the room going like, oh my God. Well, you're going to play Jacksonville Florida. Do you anticipate any kind of well, difference in that opinion? I don't know, really. You know, it would be a bit silly to segregate people because, you know, I mean, I just think it's stupid, you know. Yeah. You can't treat other human beings like animals. That's, That's the way we all feel. You know? That's the way we all feel. And a lot of people in England feel that way, you know, because there's never any segregation in concerts in England. And in fact, if there was, we wouldn't play them, you know. Yeah, that was very interesting. I didn't had not known that. I, neither did I, and and, and that for me was the one of the best archival finds of it was that they managed to pull up interview footage with with John and Paul, where they were just saying, "Why would we have a segregated concert? That's an appalling practice." And you're like going, "It's funny. It reminds me." Of a, of a story in my own family. My mother came to this country in 1950 from Germany. Uh, so so you know that she lived through some certain eras in German history. And she was surprised when 
they came into New Orleans to see, and she remembers her father, I think, being surprised too, to see segregated water fountains when their boat docked in New Orleans. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> you know? So, and, and that reminded me of that and sort of how different the perspective was overseas. Yeah. It fascinated me because, uh, I mean, one of the uh, the other great cultural force that happened in America in the 60s was with civil rights. And to see just this brief intersection between the Beatles and civil rights was a fascinating thing for me. And they, they found great interviews for that. They, they yeah. you know, by by getting interviews with 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 African-American kids who who got who were who were in the south at these ven- at these venues in Jacksonville and stuff who got to go who got to go see it in unsegregated seating it's it was it was a really great it was a really great moment yeah and i don't i mean it's very interesting i don't know how much credit to give them for in the, you know pushing awareness of integration forward but it certainly was something that i had not known that much about and was really interested to see uh, that they that they that they at that point that they had the clout to insist on something yeah, like exactly. that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I don't think I don't think it's a defining moment in the civil rights movement of the states. I just but I do find I do find it a, a curious intersection between between a between a, between a pop cultural form. There's so many intersections. I mean, the one that I think about of course as as somebody whose background is in audio engineering and and one of the weird little details that I learned from this film that I had known before was that if you went to see them at Chase Stadium, you heard them on the PA system. Like, <laughs> and then there was that little bit where they dropped all the bass out of the music and you heard a simulation of what it would have sounded like on the Tannoy speakers. It's terrible. One of the most remarkable things about the Beatles playing live is how in tune they are. Because they can't possibly hear themselves. They don't think they have monitors. Amps aren't very big. Even if they were cranked to the max, they're not that loud. I mean, Shea Stadium being the most extraordinary, because I don't even think there's a PA at Shea Stadium. They're going through the tannoy, which must sounded like a thousand transistor radios detuned. And, you know, I, I had sort of vaguely known that, like, amp stacks were developed for the Beatles because they were the first to play these kinds of shows. But it also was, like, in terms of live concerts and, and you know, concert audio and development of speaker technology, it was also a really big thing. I mean, there's so many strands that come together in this 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 period of a couple of years in the early 60s it's really interesting the other thing i really i really liked about this film which sort of has a tie-in with you with your current work is 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 their interviews with with larry kane who was who was a radio reporter who got to tour with them and it was embedded with them and and they dug out all the footage from uh, of of his of his embeds with 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 the beatles Hi, this is Larry Kane on tour with the Beatles. Let me give you a little description of the dangers of being with the Beatles. When we drove up to the stage door, the Beatles were almost crushed completely by youngsters who uh, massed themselves against the wall, broke about uh, 50 windows, throwed rocks, jelly beans, undershirts, sandals. The situation was one of sheer havoc, even though the police uh, did their best to stop it. The first couple of days, there was a bewilderment. There is a wondrousness. Is this really happening to us? One girl stuck her hand through the window and grabbed at my face. I'm okay. Don't worry, people. I'm all right. 
that it was, was. So cool. it was really cool i had not i had not heard of this guy before and until this thing and then and the footage is is really is really fascinating to me because because they're they're actually quite candid with him in 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 many ways and 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 and, and he's and he's kind of kind of blasé about it he didn't even want to do it he thought there's so much else going on in vietnam and stuff like that why do i want to go tour, I know. tour with these guys <laughs> <laughs> I know totally. Um, it, it actually it was interesting. Um, it made me kind of think about uh, this is where I get a little nerdy and nerd picky. <laughs> um, experiencing the phenomenon of the Beatles through the medium of this movie and, and getting more of the impact of what it was like back then for people like Larry Kane, who had no idea what they were getting themselves into. It it reminded me a little bit of the writing of Tom Wolfe. He specifically has an essay called the fifth Beatle, which is in the candy color tangerines, like streamlined baby, which was one of my favorite books when I was 15. Um, but it's about this guy called Murray, the K and the whole movie, I'm sitting there going, where the hell is Murray the K? Because yeah. he's not in it. And that was like my one pick. Like, he was the, the New York right. DJ, right? Who sort of attached himself to the Beatles when they landed in America and ended up being called the fifth Beatle. And so, and, and per- weirdly enough, it was the Larry Kane segments that made me think of this. Because here is this journalist following them around. Like, why? I don't know. I don't know why that particularly set me off but like there was a certain point i was at which i was like this movie is seriously missing it's some true I, I actually i actually noticed that too when i when i watched it. i was wondering where that was they also they also allied all sorts of interesting details they allied the jimmy nichols story which is you know that ringo was actually quite sick uh and and couldn't tour when they went to asia and uh in 65 and so they took a, a guy uh, they took basically a session player named jimmy nichols and gave him more money than he had ever seen in his life to go to go to go be Ringo for eight days. <laughs> I, see. I didn't know that until you just told me. And they actually have footage of Jimmy Nichols actually playing drums for you know in in, in Australia, and New Zealand. You're going, that's not that's not Ringo. That's actually you know yeah. So they kind of allied a lot of details. Yeah, I mean you also have to sort of pick and choose when you when you're making a film that has that that many moving parts. You have to sort of figure out what you're going to focus that's on. That's true. Because you and I saw it in the theater. I mean, we got to see as an extra a 4K restoration of the Shea Stadium concert. Because now we reviewed this in episode six, but yeah, actually, I have to admit to you, I didn't stay for that because I already <laughs> seen it. <laughs> All right, well, well, I stayed through what you have know at this point is my favorite Beatles song, yeah. which is "I Feel Fine." I I, I, I stuck around <laughs> for it. Um, I was disappointed that a couple of the songs they actually cut cut from the even that version of the concert and actually put over the end credits. But yeah, it was a it was it was great to kind of see the restoration and 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 you really kind of. It, it it's really kind of overwhelming to actually really see it on a big screen, but yeah, I, I kind of I, I I take your point. I finally, how do you think it holds up as a documentary about the Beatles? It's a very good documentary about the Beatles. It's it's very well made. It's like I said. It, I mean, there. It's obviously a rich guy's passion project. You would expect it to be really good because it's made by people with incredible filmmaking knowledge, with incredible resources and access and time and money. So uh, I think it's going to hold up quite well, but you know, it's it's pretty brand new. But I, I mean, I, it's it's pretty brand new. But I think it, I think it's going to hold up better. I think in many ways, for me, the best Beatles documentaries are the ones that have the least involvement from the band. So obviously, oh, for me, my. my, my for, so for me, my my favorite my favorite Beatles documentary is the Complete Beatles, where George Martin is the only be- person re- even remotely connected to the Beatles in, is is interviewed. Whereas my least favorite is is Anthology, which is 
purely Paul uh, McCartney trying to trying to uh, set the record straight. So, <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> you, have the, you have the upper hand over me because I've not seen any other Beatles documentaries. Uh, okay, so, so oh, well, there you go. I feel like so, this you is know, a perfectly so for me, respectable entry. Yeah, so I think this is this is really respectable, and I think it's more you know because it's written from Ron Howard's view, and he's actually interviewing the surviving Beatles, but it's not their project per se. It, it feels it feels like there's just a little bit of objective distance yeah. to actually yeah. make it make it interesting, which I which I really which I which I really like. They also blend in the footage of uh, of John and and especially George, especially yeah. to a really great effect. They, they'd obviously done some really good interviews, I guess, when they made an anthology with George to, about the touring phase. And he actually... He, <laughs> I, I looked at one of those chunks of footage and went, from his hair, that's, that's done around the time of the Traveling Wilburys album. Or maybe <laughs> yes, Cloud exactly. Nine. <laughs> <laughs> It's true. You can you can pretty much do any kind of archaeology of the Beatles based on based on, based on, based on their, on their hair. hair length. Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> well, <laughs> I think that brings us to a good point to close. If you have any comments, drop us a line at Beatles at GemGeek or RareBug.com. We'll be back soon as we begin our discussion of the Beatles' tenth album, The Beatles, aka White Album. In the meantime, thank you, Petra Mayer. Sure, thank you, Graham. I'm Graham Burke. We'll see you next time on A Year with the Beatles.